Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It is good to start our week in worship. Grateful that you're here. Super excited to see what God has to say to us through his word. If you would go ahead and grab your Bible, grab a Bible, and turn with me to that passage in Matthew chapter 7. If you're using one of the big blue Bibles that we have for you on the way into the worship space, it's on page 900. Matthew chapter 7, we are continuing our summer study through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's this incredible sermon that Jesus preached at the start of his ministry to share with us what life is like in the kingdom of God. If you're joining us for the first time, you're joining us at the perfect time. We're kind of making this turn towards the end of his sermon because up until this point, it seems like Jesus has talked about just about everything. He's talked about how we can live our uh, best life, or live a blessed life when we live life with him. And he's talked about how we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that as we follow Jesus, our life can have value and influence to affect the world around us. He's taught us how we can handle everyday emotions that we all wrestle with, things like anger and a desire for retaliation, to get ahead or to even get an up on someone else, to, how we can work through things like our temptation towards lust and adultery and stay faithful in our marriage, how we can be people of our word. Then Jesus talked about how we can honor him in the spiritual rhythms of our life through our giving, through our prayer time, through our times of fasting. And now Jesus, in fact, in fact, we have covered 80 verses of instruction up until this point. I know it seems like just yesterday that summer started, we kicked off the series, but 80 verses of instruction. And I think that when we cover this much ground, it's inevitable that we start to look around. And we start to look around and we start to think about all the things that Jesus has said, and we start to wonder how well are our friends and our families doing following Jesus? You ever feel like that? Like, and here's how I know you do that. Because have you ever been to church and heard the sermon and thought, so-and-so should have been here to hear that sermon. Like, you thought that. I do that all the time. I'm not judging you every week as I'm putting the message together. In the back of my mind, it's always like, man, I sure hope so-and-so is at church on Sunday because they need to hear this sermon. And it never fails. That person is never here. It's, that's the week they choose to skip church. It could be someone with perfect attendance, but when the perfect sermon comes up, they're far, far away. I'm starting to think it's not really the point. Here's what I do know. It's easy to look around and think, man, this is what they needed to hear. But it does beg the question, as we try to faithfully follow 
God. What is our role to help our friends and our family and those that I love faithfully follow him as well? And I think that's a question that we really wrestle with. And I trust that we want to honor God and we want to be helpful. And so we find ourselves asking the question when we see something is not right in the spiritual life of a friend or a family member, we think like, should I say something? Like, can I say something? Or maybe I should just kind of sit on my hands and see if they ask. Here's what I found out. They never ask, right? And so like, what is the role of the Christian? And this is something we wrestle with. Should I say something in every area of life? This is something I wrestle with whenever I ride anywhere with anyone as a passenger in their car. Does anyone else like, is anyone else a terrible passenger? Like, I think I'm a decent driver. I hate being the passenger. And I don't care. They could be with a professional driver. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, do you see the car that's three red lights away? Do you see the red light? You should probably start slowing down. I can wear out the handle, you know, at at the passenger seat because I'm just always so afraid. And in my mind, it's like, could I say something? Should I say something? If I don't say something and they don't see it, we're all going to die. If I say something and they do see it, they're going to kick me out and I'm going to have to walk. Like, and so there's always this wrestling, this tension. Like, what do we do? Here's what I think. I think, knowing you, that we want to honor God. And I think we will choose to honor God if we understand what God wants from us for his church. But so often, with the right intentions, we get confused. And if we're not careful, we can misconstrue what God wants us to do. The passage we're going to look at today from the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most misunderstood, misconstructed, misapplied passage in all of the Bible. And at the same time, it's certainly one of the most quoted passages by people who don't even know their Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, judge not that you not be judged. All right, so stop right there because so often that's as far as we get, isn't it? Like if that verse is ever quoted in whatever context, it's just that one verse. It's not the whole passage. It's judge not that you not be judged. And we've taken this out of context, I think, to create this kind of like, you do you, I'll do me approach to life. And it's like we've convinced ourselves that we have all agree not to comment on how each other chooses to live their life. No one will criticize us and everything will be okay. So like we have this verse from Jesus and it's in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. Judge not, lest not you be judged. And we just kind of close the book right there. And we think what Jesus means, if I don't talk about your life and you don't talk about my life, we'll just go about our life and everything will be okay. That we'll absolve ourselves of responsibility. And here's the thing, if we were only accountable to one another, that system might work, but we are accountable to God. And I was thinking about, Years and years and years ago, when I was growing up, I am one of three kids, but I am the oldest, most mature, most responsible, I think best looking of the three kids. I have a younger brother and a younger sister. If it was in the middle of the day and my mom had to go away, she would leave me, the most responsible sibling, in charge of the three kids. But the truth is, I didn't want that responsibility because I know my brother and I know my sister and I don't want to be like, am I my brother's keeper, right? Like, I don't want to do that. And so I worked out this system with my siblings that if I don't tell on you, 
you promise not to tell on me. Just make sure the house is still standing when mom gets home. And it worked most of the time. I would probably just go into my room and I don't know, read my Bible or something. My sister would sit on her phone. My brother would be outside blowing something up. And it's like, I just thought, you do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Let's just agree to not tell each other. And if everyone holds strong when mom comes home, we'll be okay. And here's the thing, if we were only accountable to one another, the system probably would have worked well. But it always fell flat because we were ultimately accountable to someone greater than us. So we could all agree, but eventually mom was going to come home and she was going to have this uncanny ability to understood what take place, took place while she was away. You know what I'm saying? Like a mom can walk in the house and see what happened through three walls. Maybe it's because it smelled like smoke. I don't know. But it's the same in life and faith that we are ultimately accountable to God. And so we can't just have this, you go along to get along approach to life. In fact, Jesus says in the next verse, he says this, he says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. By who? By God. The very next verse, Jesus introduces God who does the judging. That ultimately, God is going to judge each of us according to his perfect will and perfect understanding, his just standard. Judge who see, God who sees all judges perfectly. But he says in some way uh, that I haven't fully wrapped my mind around that if we are extra hard on someone, when the judging for us comes, he's going to be extra hard on us. And here's what I think he means, that if we judge people in their relationship with God without any consideration for God's grace, like if we just judge them by the letter of the law, he's going to judge us by the same standard. And we kind of understand this because school just started back, or it's just about to start back. And when you take a test and everybody in the test room struggles, what does the teacher normally do? If they're a good and gracious teacher, like our Heavenly Father, they curve the test, right? Because they understand it's their fault. Now, that's, that's not true of God, but nonetheless, like they understand they must have messed up, so they curve the test. It would be like if you looked around and you thought, yeah, but that person, I know they're a dummy, so I should be graded on a curve, and they should be judged by the letter of the law, that we want, for, uh, we want a stricter set of rules for someone else. Paul would say it this way in his letter to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's like Paul is saying, we have no leg to stand on when we're critical and condemn others because we're pronouncing a death sentence on them while we're looking for leniency for ourselves. Because at the end of the day, all of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve his wrath poured out upon us. And we, uh, so anyway, he says that we're looking, pronouncing a death sentence on someone else while we're looking for leniency for ourselves. The next verse, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. This is God's way of saying, I've got this. I'm in control. I don't need your help discerning whether or not someone is guilty. God is perfect in his judgment. And then Paul goes on, he says this. He says, do you suppose, O man, speaking to the church, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to 
repentance. Here's the thing. I think this is the distinction. That we judge to criticize and condemn while God judges to correct and bring change. Like we see our friends and we see our family and we can see them fall far short and we think it's our job, if we're not careful, to tell them for what purpose? So they know. So they know they did wrong. So they feel bad. So, but Jesus, but God through Jesus has created this environment where when he critiques us, when he brings conviction in our life and he's kind and God is kind because he doesn't wipe us out the moment we, we stray into sin, that his kindness is meant to bring us to repentance. We're counting on God's kindness towards us while we're hoping in the back of our mind that he might wipe them out, but that's not how it works. Paul says in, in verse five, he says, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's judgment will be revealed. Well, that doesn't sound good, does it? And we don't want that. So what are we supposed to do? Like as a church, like we want to honor God. Do we just sit back and wait to see if they ask, knowing full well they're not going to ask? Do we, do we say something and risk that they're going to look back at us? What are we supposed to do? Here's the thing. God created us to discern right from wrong. Like he, he gave us the ability to understand his direction and to discern right from wrong. Jesus uses judgment all the time. Now, Jesus' judgment is perfect, but he calls his followers in pursuit of him to also be judges of right and wrong, of what God's will is and where we wander from it. In fact, the last three weeks, we've looked at three different ways that we honor God. We've honored God through our giving. We honor God through our prayer and our fasting, or prayer and our fasting. And Jesus says all three times, when you give, don't give like the hypocrites, those who are playing the part, but you give to honor God. When you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites, those who are playing the part. And so if we were going to be able to follow God's command, we have to be able to discern right from wrong. Like who's a hypocrite? Who's just playing the part? And how do we follow God with sincerity? That God calls us to be critical thinkers. In order to decide how to live, we have to discern or judge the direction that God is calling us. Verse 3, back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Well, that's easy to answer, right? Because it is substantially easier to see where my friends and family are falling short than it is to see my own sin, isn't it? Like it's easier to see even from afar where someone else falls short, maybe some small sin issue in their life. But in our life, we struggle to see the big thing that's hindering our relationship with God. Like if, if, if you've been married for more than a few minutes... We have an uncanny ability in our marriage to like nitpick the small things that get on our nerves while we do like massive things, right? And it's not just in marriage. I find this in the church as well. Like I find myself doing this just like as a moment of confession. Whenever I visit another church, I can see from the front door to the front row all the things that they're doing wrong. And like by the time we sit down, my wife and I were like, this is something they should fix. They should do this. I wonder why they do that. They should do this. They should do that. And at the same time, I'm scratching my head why we're not reaching more people for Jesus here at Eastside. Because it's easy to see from the sidelines what other people are struggling with while we struggle to see the things that are severe issues in our own life. It's easy. Why do you pick the speck out of your brother's eye? Not notice a log in your eye? 
because it's easy. Verse four, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, verse five, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Once again, Jesus says, you're, if you live in this way, if you're quick to judge someone else, you're a hypocrite. Stop playing the part like holiness matters to you. He says, if holiness really matters to you, first start with yourself. Spend time with God and figure out what is going on in your life. Then you will see clearly to help someone else. If holiness really matters to you, if holiness really matters to me, we're going to start with ourselves. And here I think in the text is the gospel. It's the good news. Because the good news is that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Well, here's what I mean. Like, I don't want to overpress the illustration too far. But do you really think if you had a log sticking out of your eye, you would be strong enough to take it out for yourself? Like, I know some of you, like Doug is sitting there thinking, like, I work with wood all the time. I have a log sticking out of my eye. I just pull that thing out. I don't think so. I think you'd grow faint. I think you'd get dizzy. I think you'd pass out because you'd freak out, right? There's this massive log protruding from my eye. Now, I don't know. I've never had a log in my eye. I've had a few small splinters. I don't think that's the same thing. But I have in my life had a few fish hooks end up where I wish they hadn't. And those stories help me understand this story. I'm going to give them to you very briefly. They're long stories. I'll save them for another day. The first time I had a fish hook end up somewhere where I wish it, ha- wish it hadn't, I was on a boat with my family, and uh, there was a lot of waves, and so the boat was bouncing. And every time the boat would hit a wave, I would bounce up, and I'd fall down. It was kind of fun. But what I didn't realize is my fishing rod, which I'd been fishing with all day, had a lure on it, was also bouncing. And one of those times that I went up, the rod went under my seat, and I came down right on it. And so I got a fish hook in my seat like right through my shorts into my seat. And I knew instantly that something wasn't right. It hurt. But here's the thing. I couldn't see it. Like I couldn't see it. I just like, I, I, didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. And so I had to look to my family and say, this is what family's for. I'm going to need your help to get this thing out of my britches. Sure enough, they did. Unfortunately, they also took pictures along the way. It's a pretty embarrassing moment in my life. I've been married for like 15 minutes, and here I am having my wife pull a fish hook out from me. But the other time, the other time I think might be even more uh, relevant. I was fishing with my wife and our new puppy at the time, our puppy Chipper, years ago. And I was, we were packing up the boat, and I had all these fish hooks, these lures in my hand. And I was going to put them in the car, and apparently... Not only fish are attracted to fish hooks and lures, but so was my dog. And so my dog jumped up to see what was in my hand. He got a hook through his nose, and then he pulled it because he freaked out, and it went into my thumb. And it was a bloody, gruesome scene. So we got the dog unhooked, which was surprisingly easy. And as soon as I looked down, I was like, this is going to be a problem. And I cut the fish hook, I cut the lure off, and I still had this fish hook protruding from my thumb. And I could see it, like the bar was poking out. I knew what I had to do. I had to pull it the rest of the way through. And uh, so I got some, some pliers out. I kind of braced it against the boat, and I started to pull. It's like, there's only one way to get this thing out. I cut the thumb off, or I pull the hook out. I'm not going to cut the thumb off. So I start to pull, and I'm going like, to get it done. 
And the next thing I know, my wife is picking me up off the ground. I think it's the only time in my life I've ever passed out. All the blood, all the pain. And so what do we do? We had to go to the hospital, and a doctor had to do for me what I could not do for myself. I go up, and I thought he was going to perform surgery or something. He's like, nope, just going to pull it through. It's like, sounds easy for you, doc. It's not your thumb, right? And I say that because you get this log in your eye, and you think, man, I'm going to rip this thing out. And the truth is you can't. That we need to draw close to Jesus because Jesus can not only see what we cannot see. He has the strength to cut the sin out of our life that we are not strong enough to. And I think when, when Jesus says, first take the log out of your eye, he doesn't mean just grip it and rip it as hard as you can. I think he's saying that's not going to be possible. Draw close to me and I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. First take the log out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to help others do the same. When you realize how well Jesus has worked in your life and watch him work through your life, you can show up and help others clean up their life by drawing near to Jesus. Here's the thing. I don't think this is a prohibition against judging or thinking critically. I think it's a call to judge one another with kindness in the context of community. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the log or sorry, remove the speck from your brother's eye. But we, we, we serve one another well when we judge with kindness in the context of community. And here's what I mean, like in the context of community, like up close. Because if I was just being honest, I would say it is the epitome of arrogance to judge what we don't understand. Like, isn't it easy to sit on the sidelines and judge what we don't understand when we have no skin in the game? Football season is getting ready to fire back up, and I cannot wait to go to UCF home games. And I love watching the action in real life. But what I don't love, if I'm fully transparent, is the dummies in the stand. And you know the one I'm talking about? If this is you, I'm sorry, but you probably should change. It's like the guy that sits on the sideline and spends the whole game yelling at the coach, telling him what he should do differently to coach his team. You know, the coach runs the ball, he says you should pass the ball. The coach passes the ball, he says you run the ball. And like, at first the guy thinks he sounds smart, but he's only focusing on a small thing. He only is watching the ball. He has no idea what the line is doing or what the defense is doing. He has no idea the inner workings. And at UCF, our head coach right now is a national championship winning coach. And I just think the guy that's 700 pounds overweight, sitting on the sideline, telling the coach what he should do, is like, you are not, you're just an ignorant idiot. But we do the same thing if we're not careful. We sit from the safety of the sidelines and yell at other people what we think they should fix without understanding what's actually going on. We have this temptation in the church to sit on the sideline and judge the church, or even more, to sit on the sidelines and criticize and even condemn other Christians without any understanding of the context of their life. And what I think Jesus is offering us here is an invitation to move closer and experience life in the context of community. And in fact, we cannot experience the joy and edification and encouragement of true community if we aren't willing to speak into one another's lives and let one another speak into our life. You can't, I can't, we weren't created to live life alone. 
But he says, take the plank out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. Think about this. How close would you have to get to someone to actually help them remove a speck from their eye? You'd just like get right up in their grill, wouldn't you? Like you have to get really close so you can see the extent of the pain, the extent of the problem, and actually be helpful. If you tried to remove the speck from afar, you would end up hurting them worse than they were, they were um, hurt in the first place. And so I think it's an invitation for us to move close in the context of community to remove sin with a spirit of gentleness. Paul would write to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he would say, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, meaning if anyone has stumbled into sin, if anyone who is trying to follow Jesus is stumbling their way into sin, you who are spiritual, who are cultivating a relationship with God through the work of his Holy Spirit, should, and I've circled this in my Bible, we should restore them gently with the spirit of gentleness. So Paul kind of answers the question for us. We don't shout from afar and we don't sit on the sidelines. We move close in the context of community and help restore them gently. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And there's so much packed into this one verse from the Apostle Paul to the church, but we just shouldn't stand on the sideline and shout at people. Here's the thing. Most people who are trying to follow Jesus know that they're fumbling their way in the direction that God is calling them. And so standing on the sideline shouting isn't helping. At the same time, we shouldn't sit on our hands and hope that they ask us someday because they're probably not going to ask, whether they're too shy or with too much shame. Paul says that we move close with a spirit of gentleness and restore them gently. Because how unkind would we be to see sin in someone's life that is separating them from God and the life that God wants from them and just sit on the sideline and hope they figure it out? Like, that's not kind. If you saw someone with cancer, in fact, I have a story. I want to put a picture on the screen very quickly and introduce you to these two people. Uh, The woman on the screen is Nadia Popovici. And the gentleman is Brian Hamilton. He's the equipment manager with the Vancouver Canucks. A couple years ago at a hockey game, Nadia, who's a first-year med student, noticed through the glass that Brian had a weird-looking mole on his neck. So she was sitting in close proximity to him. And she had worked with skin cancer patients in the past, and she knew something wasn't right, but she thought, there's a barrier between us. I don't know if I should say anything. She said she spent all three periods of the hockey game trying to decide if she should say something to Brian. And so at the end of the game, she decided that she had to say something. So she took on her phone, she took out her phone, and she created a note, and she held it up to the glass, and it says, something's not right with that mole, see a doctor, likely cancer. Brian said he kind of rubbed his neck, didn't think too much about it. But when he got home, he asked his wife to look at it and realized, yeah, there's something here. The next day, he went to a doctor, found out that the mole actually was type 2 malignant melanoma, which is curable if caught early, but if left untreated, can kill you. And so a few weeks later, a few days later, he had the the mole cut out, the skin cancer removed, and with a few days, he was cancer-free. But he didn't know who the woman was who had pointed it out, and so he sent a tweet out through the Canucks Uh, Twitter channel. And he said this, he says, I'm trying to find a very special person who changed my life forever. That evening, October 23rd, the message you showed me on your cell phone will forever be etched into my brain and has made a true life changing difference for me and my family. 
says, I want to go to great lengths to get my attention from, you went to great lengths to get my attention from the stands while I did my job on the Canucks bench. We are looking for this incredible person and we need you to share this with your friends and family to help us find a real life hero so I can express my sincerest gratitude. Within a few hours, they were able to track down Nadia. And when they met, they gave her, the Canucks organization gave her a $10,000 scholarship to put towards her med school because she had the courage to say with conviction, to point out the cancer that would have killed their friend. I think that's what's taking place in the everyday world around us. And here as as a church, we know with absolute conviction that sin is a cancer that will kill us, not just in this life, for eternity. We know that even Christians struggling with sin are not enjoying the fullness of life that God had for them. And God put us here to move close in the context of community with kindness and gentleness to point out the things that are robbing people of the life that God called them to. So the question is, should we sit on the sidelines, sit on our hands, should we shout from a distance? No, we move close in the context of community. In fact, Jesus would say, I want to end with this passage from Matthew chapter 18. If you flip ahead to the middle of Matthew's gospel, he says this. If your brother sins against you, go go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So he he tells us how. Like if, if you see someone struggling with sin, if they've sinned against you, you go to them. You don't post it on social media. You don't gather a posse from church. You don't list it as a public prayer request. You just go to them. You tell them to fall. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You've restored a relationship. But if he does not listen, you take one or two others along with you. We would say that is our community group. If someone is living in sin and struggling with sin and maybe they don't see it, we go to them. And if they don't listen, we take a community group to them. That you may charge, uh, that the very charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let, it be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Just Savannah, leave that verse on the screen for me as we close this. Here's what I want you to see. This is spiritual work with eternal implications. So it's spiritual work with eternal implications. So I was praying about it this week, and I was asking the Lord for clarity and what he wanted to say to us as his church. This is the verse that continued to come to mind. Because if, I'm, if you're anything like me, like I see other people, and I have, I have either temptation. I have the temptation to like rush right in, uninvited, and kind of beat them on the head. Say, hey, you got to get your life together. And I've tried that. It doesn't work very well. I also have this temptation to sit on the sidelines, just kind of sit on my hands. And if they ask, if they invite my opinion, I'll share what I think, even though I know what God wants to say. And they never ask. What Jesus says, if you see someone struggling with sin, you move close. You talk, share it with just them. And then... What he says here is, I will go to work with you for your brother. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He's not saying that if just two people get together and, you know, ask for anything, God's going to do. He's saying, in this context, 
where you see someone you love, a friend, a family member, a person in your community group struggling with sin, if, if you gather together with the church in a spirit of kindness and a close community, we'll share it with them, the Holy Spirit is going to go to work with you. And then he says, I love this because this is like the second most misquoted verse in all the Bible. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I've always heard this, like, you know, you get two or three Christians together at Chick-fil-A and you think, well, Jesus is here. Yes, as hard as it is to believe, he's also there at McDonald's, right? Like Jesus is always there. His Holy Spirit is always with us. What Jesus is saying is if you'll have the courage and conviction to call your brother in a spirit of gentleness and moves close in a spirit of kindness, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna work with you because believe it or not, Jesus cares more about your brother than even you do. And so what do we do? Judge not, lest not you be judged. Yeah, we're not gonna condemn one another. We're gonna understand that they're struggling just like we're struggling, but we're gonna move close in the context of community with a spirit of gentleness and kindness, work to restore one another for the joy of a life lived with Jesus. Jesus is the judge, he's the just, but he is also the justifier. Like he is the one who went to the cross so that when we judge one another, we are draw, helping draw one another closer to Jesus who can set all things right. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, like he can forgive your sins today. If you put your faith in Jesus years ago, he's still at work to forgive your sins. If you're struggling today, I wanna to invite you to walk close with Jesus in the context of a community of believers who love you and would love to lead you to experience immeasurably more of him by exchanging the common for the whole. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is to gather together this week and every week as your people to sit under the authority of your word, to hear the things that you would say to us. And Father, I pray that as we spend time in your word, that's been preserved for us through 2,000 years of church history, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our soul, to each and every one of us, that we would not leave today looking the same as when we walked in, but we would leave looking more like you. Father, if there's some of us here today that are sitting on the sidelines and we're coming to church on occasion, maybe coming to church regularly, but we know we're just showing up, that we're not settling in and growing in the context of a community as we move towards this next season. Father, let it be a season where we take you at your word, where we are quick to invite others into our life, to live open-handed lives. And in the same time, Father, that we would be willing to serve others in the context of community so that, Father, as a church, we'd be growing closer to you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus who makes all of this possible. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.